Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hey, good morning, you guys. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be sharing the word with you this morning on this uh, rainy day. Um, and uh, Amy and I are going to be doing something this year, that, or today, actually this morning, that we've never done before, which is we're going to teach together. So, yeah, here we go. Could, could be something. Uh, yeah, we actually, um, I, I've been, as I, the last few months as I've been teaching, I've been having Amy kind of read the scripture with me. And, um, kind of getting our feet wet and because what we've been doing is at home we've been collaborating on the messages together and working it out and this one in particular I just thought this is really really cool to actually hear you know both our voices on um, we we actually this year we got uh, this actually this week we celebrated our 20th uh, 20th wedding anniversary on Monday yeah 20 years yeah thanks we made it that's right somehow somehow lots of grace yeah so yeah, and mercy, that's right. So, um, in fact, uh, as we were thinking about this message, I, I was thinking about something that happened 20 years ago on our wedding day. Um, we got married, actually, over at the Coastlands. Um, we used that venue there. Um, it just seemed like a more attractive venue than a giant concrete box uh, to get married in. So, um, yeah, we got married over there, and we had, like, almost 400 of our friends and family and 300 of them, I didn't even know. I'd never met those people before. Um, but we had all these people, and, and it was just this beautiful day. I mean, it, you know, great wedding. I mean, for us it was. I don't know how it was for all those people, but uh, we enjoyed it very much. And, um, yeah, and at the very end, of course, we, you know, we're walking out with our stuff, and there's, you know, there's kind of a, you know how the wedding, like, you know, everybody goes outside and to see the couple off, and, and we walked outside, and people had, like, decorated our car. You know how they do, you know, just married, and there's, I don't think there was cans, but I don't know. There, you know, there's all this yeah, stuff on our car and stickers and everything. And we put our stuff in the car, and we got, we got in, and, it, you know, everybody's waving and cheering, and I go to turn the car, and it just goes, ga 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 And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so, you know, and everyone's like, like, what's happening now? Is this part of the thing? Or, you know, I'm like, oh, no. And so um, if you don't know me, then you wouldn't know that. But if you do know me, you probably know this. I don't know a thing about cars at all. Like I, I, like, I know they have, most of them have four tires. That's about where, you know, that's where, where it begins and ends. And so I'm, I'm like, turn the key, and I'm like, oh, man, i got to do something. And Amy's looking at me like, like, this is you, you know. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is how it begins. And so I get out, and I pop the hood, and I open the hood. Yeah. Right? And I look down, and what was happening well, from my side of it, so we just said goodbye to friends and family. And if you know me at all, you know I'm an introvert. So like being around people for hours and hours, while it was wonderful on our wedding day, I was pretty <laughs> exhausted. So we just said goodbye to everybody, gave hugs to my family, got out to the car, and it, it wouldn't turn on. So I was like thinking, oh my gosh, are we going to be able to go on our honeymoon? Are we going to have to cancel this? Are we going to have to cancel our flight? Kind of just like catastrophic in my head, like all this horrible stuff is going to happen. We might not be able to go. Like this is horrible. I was looking to Chris like, what are you going to do? 
<laughs> so yeah, so I looked down at the engine and a bunch of wires, and by some miracle, I saw that there was a cable just like unplugged, and I realized, oh, I know what happened, because I saw those guys in the wedding band, all friends of mine, and I saw them come out to the car, and I thought all they did was write just married on there, but one of them unplugged the distributor cap. Now, I didn't know the term distributor cap at the time. I learned that later, but I saw, and I was like, oh, and I just plugged it back in. I was like, please, God, let this work, you know, and I shut the hood, and, you know, like, I walked back to the car just like a boss, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like with the swagger of, like, tonight's my wedding night, you know, and I walk, and I climb in, and, turn, and, the, and the car starts. Yeah, so that was, we were very thankful that it started because I didn't want to go back inside and talk to everybody again and say our goodbyes again, right. have that embarrassing moment. So we were very happy that it started. Well, and the thing about it is, like, that set the tone then for, like, the, the first year of our marriage because what Amy didn't know is it was just, like, plug in a thing. I don't know anything. I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. So then the next time something went wrong with the car, she's like, so fix it now, like you did before, right? My expectations were pretty yeah. high after that. We were on a drive, and like the car overheated, and I got out and like popped the hood, and it was just the two of us. You know, this is like six months in, and I'm looking at the engine, and I'm like, it appears to run on some form of electricity. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. So, you know, that it was like, you know, I had set this kind of ideal for our marriage, and uh, then had to live up to it. And I think, you know, as we're kind of thinking about this message in particular and where we're at in the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of where we're at, we're th we're, where we're looking at these places where there's these ideals in life, right? There's these standards. But life is not lived in these ideals. There, it's lived in the spaces in between. And Jesus is addressing those spaces in between. Um, la so if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we're in a, in a series called uh, found in the way. We want to be a people that are found in the way of Jesus, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount to figure out what that looks like. Um, it begins in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles and you want to just start turning there, you can. Matthew chapter 5 is where the Sermon on the Mount begins. And if you remember, it begins with um, these blessings. We call, we call them the Beatitudes. And these blessings are very, when you read them, they sound very backwards. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They sound like the opposite of what you would think. Uh, a blessing should be. And what it is, is it's Jesus painting a picture of a new kingdom. He calls it the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and this kingdom seems upside down to us at first. Um, and, that's, and, and these blessings culminate in this declaration that Jesus makes over his followers, where he gives us a brand new identity for those that are going to walk in his way. He calls us salt and light and a city on a hill. You might remember this if, if you were with us for this series. Um, and then he takes a minute to remind us. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He, he reminds us that he's not here to erase or destroy the story that has come before. Uh, but in fact, he's come to author a final chapter. And we play a role in that. We're characters in this story as he's authoring this final chapter. And now he enters into this section in the Sermon on the Mount where he holds up these kind of ancient standards of human morality that we all kind of mutually uh, agree on. We carry with us a sense of morality inside of us as human beings. It's one of the great evidences of a God that we all carry this in every culture and in every part of the world and every place in history. All human beings have some sense that there's a right and there's a wrong and there's these agreed upon standards. Last week, Tim talked about one of them, right? Um, yeah, Tim talked about murder last week. 
And um, Jesus uses murder to talk about anger, mm-hmm. yeah. anger in our hearts. Yeah. And this week we're talking about divorce and adultery. Yeah. So, you know, easy ones. Yeah. E- super. Easy ones. Um, and what we're looking for is we're looking for the ways that human beings have taken advantage of the spaces in between these, these standards, right? So, um, you know, if we, if we took a poll, we're not going to, but if we took a poll and said, who here has been affected by murder? Well, probably very few of us, right? I mean, just, you know, very few. But if we said, who here has been affected by things like divorce, broken marriages, adultery, and then all the things related to those, you know, unfaithfulness, um, you know, lust and addiction and uh, all of those things probably would get a lot more hands, right? Um, And this is where Jesus is now starting to get into like the deeper heart issues as he, as he, uh, as he holds up these standards and asks us to look at the place in between and where we might be living. So uh, I thought maybe we could start by reading the passage. This is Matthew. So so specifically we're in Matthew 5 uh, verse 27. Um, and it's just a few verses, 27 through 32, if you want to turn there. Yeah, if you want to turn there or open your Bible app or whatever works for you. Um, Matthew 5, 27. You have heard <clears throat> that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, <clears throat> gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So that's uh, heavy stuff, huh? Right, uh, gouging out of eyes and cutting off of hands and yeah, uh, sexual immorality, all kinds of great nuggets there. Um, yeah, so um, Jesus is painting a very visceral image and this is intentional. He's reaching out to the listener and he's kind of grabbing us by the shirt collar and, and he's, he's kind of pulling us in close. He's saying, I, I need you to hear this because it's really important. So I'm gonna speak with very extreme language so you know just how important this, this is, right? Um, so I thought we could maybe break this down into some parts to help us understand. Um, so he, he has this, um, this way of, of talking about things in which he, he holds up a standard, but then he wants to talk about the thing that's, that's propping up that standard, right? Uh, listen to how he said, I tell you that anyone who looks upon a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's, that's a really extreme standard because you might say, well, I've, I've never been unfaithful to my spouse. If you're or if you're not, you could say, I've, I've never been unfaithful uh, to a partner. Or, um, but, but he says, anyone who's even looked with his eyes. So he's, this, is, this is the way Jesus does it, as he raises the bar so high for his followers, right, that we, we can't reach it without him. He sets impossible goals, and it's on purpose. It's on purpose, because he then wants to come alongside us and partner with us in life, right? So we know um, now that as modern people, there's, there's tons of research and study on this and psychology that, that there's a really destructive nature um, to uh, pornography and, and um, the, the kind of addiction that it instills both in men and women too. Um, and Jesus is wanting us to consider that 
but also consider that the way that that kind of uh, uh, lust actually victimizes not just the person, uh, but the person on the other side as well. You know, and he's he's turning our focus a little bit and saying, um, I'm asking you to consider that there's a person on the other side of your of your desires and your brokenness. Um, what the normalizing in our culture of of um, a really sexualized uh, culture does is that it it communicates to women and to young girls. I think about this a lot because I have a daughter and I. Um, and not always have to have me right by her side. And so I think about this, and I, I think about the way our culture tells women and young girls that they're, they are objects, and they must commodify or, you know, their own uh, physicality, their own sexuality in order to find worth and value. And that, and that is not the way of Jesus. He's saying there's a different way. That's not the way. In fact, he finds that paradigm so horrendous that he uses this graphic language, right? Gouge your eye out. Cut off your hand. If we took this literally, we would all be walking around looking like pirates, right? Um, um, it, but it's not literal. It's, it's, it is hyperbole, but it's meant to get our attention and say, this is, this is very serious. Um, yeah, there is hope for people trapped on both sides of this issue. For the women and the men victimized by the objectification of their sexuality, Jesus is leading his followers to usher in a new world that will be different than the old one. And then also for the men and women who are trapped in the cycle of lust and uh, addiction, you know, Jesus is offering freedom. There's freedom um, for the cleansing of our minds. Paul calls it the, um, the renewing of our minds, right? And, and this begins with, it, the first step is seeing that humans on the other side of the screen or on the other side of an image are people whom God loves and cre he created in his image. Um, yeah, so there's, there's this other part in, this, uh, in these, this passage that we read. In fact, Amy, do you want to read that? But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Adultery, sorry. Um, so it sounds like Jesus just labeled most consenting adults as adulterers. Yeah, so he's using this language to kind of sweep us all up into kind of collective and say, here's the standard, and you've all fallen short. That's the bad, that's the bad news, right? And it's, it's bad news. Um, but it, it's not, he's not just communicating that he places a high value on the covenant of marriage. I think he does, I, I, I think he does. I think uh, marriage is, is beautiful and it's, uh, there's an intention there. It, it helps uh, develop healthy communities and society and um, it's how we build family and things that are very important to God, it, it's true. But there's more than that. He's, the reason why he's holding his standard so high and not making it more accessible to us without him is because he's showing us that when we choose uh, selfish paths, and we do all the time, right? If we're honest, we choose selfish options that um, our choices don't just affect us. It's, easily, it's easy to think of our, uh, our choices and our behavior as, as uh, that we're, we're kind of the, uh, we're the main character in the story in our head, right? You know, that we're living out, and we're the hero not the villain, right? That's how we imagine it. We're, we're at, but what he's doing is he's, he's jarring us a little bit and saying, hey, you are in a story. 
But there's other characters in the story, and they're deeply affected by your actions as well. Um, and, and in particular, he's, he's pointing to this dynamic where he says, if, if, if you have some measure of power over someone else, because if you think about the first century audience that was hearing this, um, it was a patriarchal culture. There's no doubt about that. And a man had far more power um, in this culture than a woman did. And, and what he's saying to that person with power, he says, if you have power over someone else, it becomes your responsibility as a Jesus follower to behave honorably towards that person. Even giving up some measure of your power and surrendering control at times, that, that is the way of Jesus. So this makes me think about uh, what Paul said about love in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think someone read that passage on our wedding day, right? Yeah. Yes, for sure. That's kind of a classic uh, mm -hmm. Christian wedding passage, right? But I think Paul would also say submitting to each other. Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, thanks, Amy, for bringing that up. Uh, that's that's the that's kind of the S word, right? Is submission. And um, uh, before I'm ready to talk about that, I thought maybe we could have a little bit of this. Um, this is coffee bark. I brought this to kind of liven things up just a little bit. Uh, this is if if so. You know, uh, Amy and I are just simple people. We're not too excited. We talk about this all the time. But um, this, this is Pete's coffee, uh, coffee bark with real coffee in it. Th there's, there's a lot of caffeine in this, so we're about to kick it up a notch. Um, just wanted to, yeah, mm, to no, no bacon this week, nope, nope. Um, so this is, a, this is a loaded term. That's strong. <laughs> it's strong, oh my gosh. Um, whew. This is a loaded term, this word that uh, Amy brings up, submission. There's, in this description of love, Paul talks about this, but he talks more in depth um, when he writes to the church in Ephesus. So if, you, if you've read the book of Ephesians at all, in reading the letter, you can infer some things. You can infer that the Christians in Ephesus were really uh, messed up people. It was a broken church. In fact, there was a ton of um, relational brokenness. Um, a lot of uh, things in that culture in Ephesus were, were very, very backwards and wrong. And Paul was writing to that. And there's, there's love, and there's rebuke, and there's encouragement, and there's exhortation, and there's this word submission. And it's true that I think that different Christians and different faith traditions have handled this word differently. And I think we want to be fair and considerate to that. But I think also many people have approached this passage through the lens of their own cultural persuasion, uh, often kind of a patriarchal one, you know, and have used it as a club, uh, I think. Um, but I'd like to offer our own take on this. Um, so let's read Ephesians 5. Let's read this carefully and with kind of consideration of, uh, you know, the possibility of uh, wanting to understand it in a healthy way. This is, this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So remember, this is Paul writing to a, a group of Christians that um, were pretty, they were pretty messed up. They were struggling. And he says, be careful for them. 
uh, he says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So, so think about things. Is what he's saying. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There's a lot of opportunities to go wrong, right? And, and we can attest to that. That's, that's been our experience in our culture as well. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, think about what God's preference for your life would be. He says, don't get drunk. That just leads to all kinds of craziness. Um, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's offering an alternative um, to pleasure-seeking. He's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms. Now he's going to talk about worship. And we just did this this morning. Colin and the team, Gene uh, and um, Lucy, they led us in... Uh, a moment, just like he's describing here. He says, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from the heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good. That's all good. We can do that. Now here comes the hard part. He says, in the same breath as he's saying, do all of those things, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There it is. There it is. That's how we navigate these really tricky things. It's really hard, right? And then he goes on to give two examples. He says to the broken marriages in the, in the church in Ephesus, he says, he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, that, that verse right there has been used and misused and abused, I think, a few times. You know, if you look at the Greek language there and you actually you kind of, you read through the order of the Greek, that word submit actually doesn't appear in Greek. What it says is it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he pauses and then he continues that thought by giving two examples. Wives, he says, you also with your husbands. Okay, so it's a continuation of the one another. All right, he's not singling wives out. And then he goes on to say, husbands, love your wives. And love is just another way of saying in submission, right? Submit one to another. Submit one to another. He says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water. So this is, this is a tough passage. When I read this, you know, as a Christian man, and I think about how I'm to, um, in what ways I'm supposed to love and in fact submit um, in my marriage, um, I think about if, if I'm doing it like Christ, then I, that includes up to including giving my life for her, right? He gave his life for us. Isn't that true? Yeah. Amen? So you, if you can give your life for your wife, certainly you can take out the garbage on Thursday nights. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The tricky thing here is when we hear uh, submission, what we hear is subservience, and that's not what this means. Submission means service, to serve one another. That's what we're called to do. That's our, that's our way through these really challenging passages, right? So our idea that we wanted to share with you, um, if you were going to take one thing away with you today, it would be this idea, that the way of Jesus returns value and dignity back to his design. The way of Jesus returns value and dignity back to his design. So we've been saying that all through this series, the way of Jesus and what it does, right? We believe the way of Jesus reclaims our value. You know, what is it that gives each person value? Where does our value come from? These are questions that arise from that idea of value. Um, and when you go back to the beginning of the Bible, you find a book called Genesis. 
right there in the first chapter, God gives you an explanation of where our value comes from. Um, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is um, ancient Hebrew poetry. And it's poetic in nature. And it's meant to convey a picture. It's not, it's not communicating to us about uh, specifics. Um, what it's trying to communicate is, is, is leaving us with an impression of deep theological resonance. Uh, it says, God created mankind. The Hebrew word there is ha-adam. It means all human beings. That's where the name Adam comes from. Adam pro probably wasn't his real name. It just means human. It just means human. It means a human from the ground. You know, we're made of minerals and water. You know, we come from this place. We come from here. God used this stuff to make us, and he made all of us in his image. Not, not men, but men and women. Ha-adam, all human beings in the image of God. We are his image bearers. We reflect the nature and the passing of a creator God on this planet just by existing. Therefore, when you were born, you were born with a level of value that cannot be taken from you. You are valuable. You are handcrafted and you are designed by God. Amen. But it also restores, um, I think the way of Jesus restores our dignity. Um, so, it, you know, in a way our value is being reclaimed uh, but our dignity is also being restored. And what's the difference between value and dignity? Because they seem kind of similar. Yeah, so these are similar words, but there is a distinction. I think you can think of value as intrinsic, meaning you're born with it. You're born just by existing. God has baked in value, and it, it can't be taken from you. And, but dignity is, is the way that we respond as human beings. It's the way we respond when we see that value. So dignity is offered to one another. You might say that humans can't remove a person's value, but they can ignore it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we can steal a person's dignity, or we can choose to restore it. Um, you know, you see this in the, the abolitionist movement to abolish slaves. Um, in, uh, in Western history, you see uh, figures like uh, Harriet Tubman and John Newton. The, this, Abolitionist, the abolitionist movement was a decidedly Christian effort to restore dignity back to human beings. John Newton uh, almost single-handedly brought about the abolition of slaves, of slavery, I should say, in England. He's the one that wrote Amazing Grace. You've heard that song. I'm sure you have. <laughs> um, and he cared very much about the restoration of dignity back to human beings. The, the women's suffrage movement in the, around the turn of the century in the United States was a Christian movement. The idea was that they would uh, award the right to vote and certain civil liberties to women and bring dignity back to the other half of the human race. This is, this is a, very, um, a very Christian principle. And, and lastly, I think the way of Jesus redeems his design. This is what, what God's design for human flourishing is from the beginning. Um, right? In fact, later in Matthew, so we're, we're reading in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, but later in Matthew, in uh, chapter 19, he returns to this idea. Now, you've probably read the Gospels and seen these 
these instances where religious leaders would corner him and they would ask him these gotcha questions, right? Have you seen this? Where they, they ask him a question, they try to trap Jesus. This is one of those. And if these guys had been there at the Sermon on the Mount, they probably wouldn't have asked this question because they would have heard how uh, amazingly he answered this. Um, but check this out. You'll, this will sound familiar to you. This is Matthew chapter 19, verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. So, you know, this is, this is well-trod ground for the followers of Jesus already at this time. And, but they came at him with this question to try to trap him into something that would, that would uh, pin him to an untenable position. But it didn't work. It never works. I don't know why they try this all the time with him. Um, but it, he responds by saying, you know, Moses allowed for this because your hearts were hard. He's saying this law of Moses existed because you were so broken that we had to create a way to protect vulnerable women against the threat of destitution. But Jesus is saying there was a time even before that where such a law was not necessary. There was a, there was a time when people lived in such a way where you, as humans, we... we um, we saw each other's value, and we honored each other by ascribing dignity to each other, both men and women. And he's, he's pointing to the past. You know, he's, he's pointing to a time in society when there, was, there didn't need to be this uh, structured arrangement. That, um, and, and he's pointing to the past in order to show us a way to the future. You know, his way from the beginning was the way of partnership. When you, that passage that Amy read in, in Genesis, it talks about you know, he makes mankind in the image of God. And then what does he do immediately? He, he begins to distribute authority. You know, we think of God, um, the nature of God. He's all-powerful, right? He, he's, you know, we sing songs about him being in control and, him, you know, his sovereignty and his kingship. He rules over the whole universe. And yet, what does he do right from the beginning? He starts giving it all away. You're in charge now. You steward the earth. You take care of the animals. Take care of this garden. And we're meant to do exactly the same. In the places that we have power and strength, we're meant to give these things away. That's what partnership looks like. When we hear the word partnership, oftentimes, you know, Amy and I have a small business, and we've had it for several years. And we've been, <laughs> I've been approached a handful of times with, by people saying, hey, we'd like to talk to you about partnership. You know, What they mean is, we'd like some of your money. <laughs> um, and oftentimes, that's what partner... That, we think of that, business partners, right? Two people kind of like, um, you know, with an arrangement where they're getting co-equal amounts of uh, profit from a business. But this theme of partnership that we see in the Bible is something different altogether. It's, it's relational. It, it's deferring to one another. There's submitting and, and they're serving one another. This is Jesus pointing to the past to help us chart a path toward his coming kingdom. Yeah. So as we wrap up our time together, I wanted to share this Jesus story of how he brought redemption and healing to a woman just like you or me. Um, I wanted to share about Mary Magdalene. She was one of Jesus's earliest followers. Um, she was a part of his ministry and traveled around with him and his disciples and interacted with people and with him. Um, we know she had a very shady and broken past. Um, we know that she had an encounter with Jesus where he set her free. We know that she carried around some darkness, 
perhaps even tormented by her own thoughts. Three days after Jesus' death, she went to mourn him at his grave. And she was so upset and distraught that she didn't even recognize him standing there. She thought he was a gardener. Um, when she saw him, he said, Mary, and she immediately knew who he was. Then he did something amazing. He entrusted this broken woman with the most important news in human history, that Jesus is alive. And he said, go tell your brothers. This is how Jesus, in his way, redeems us. Yeah, ultimately, we're called to be a part of a story, but it's a redemptive story. You know, it's a story where um, Jesus has brought about a new kingdom, and we play a role in it. And he, he's giving us the shape and the breath of that kingdom, and he's showing us how it cannot be achieved without him. But with him, and in partnership with him, and in partnership with each other, something beautiful is going to happen, and is happening. Um, if, you know, if you're a part of this church community, then you know that something beautiful has happened here. Lives have been changed in this, in this room, in this place, um, as we've leaned into the way of Jesus together. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.